dive deep into the blockchain realm with the Protocol Podcast with Coindesk founding editor of the Protocol Newsletter, Brad Count, and tech journalists, Sam Kessler and Margot Nykirk. They unravel the intricate technologies powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, one block at a time. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to the Protocol Podcast. I'm Brad Cowan here with my co-hosts, Margot Nykirk and Sam Kessler. Please, first, don't forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on Coindesk.com. And real quick, let's just take a second. We've got Sam Kessler here. He's actually missed a couple of our recordings over the past few weeks because he was down covering the Sam Bankman-Fried trial, which is a story that Coindesk owns, uh, or we did break the story that led to the ultimate collapse of his business empire. Sam, you've been down at this trial and just like getting up at what, like 3 a.m. <laughs> to get in line to get in the courtroom. Tell us, tell, what has it been like covering that trial? Yeah, it was a, a crazy experience. I'm glad to kind of be back to my normal life. Like you said, some days you had to wake up as early as 3 a.m. Somebody showed up at 10 p.m. the previous evening once to see oh Sam God. testify. I was not that crazy. I, I could only do that a, a few times the early day. But anyway, overall, it was a, a pretty insane experience. And yesterday we did sort of a panel with Coindesk reporters, the um, you know four of the five Coindesk reporters who have covered this throughout the month-long run of the trial, to hear from members of the crypto community about questions they had and reflections on what was going on. And, and one of the questions that we received was around whether this trial was, in fact, the indictment of the cryptocurrency industry that everybody in the mainstream seems to frame it as. Or is this kind of this anomalous thing that exists outside of crypto, particularly because FTX was a centralized exchange? You know, the question being, why did it feel like such a big deal? And I think the the place where we all landed, like why this got the sort of breathless coverage that it did is because there is a difference between the, the crypto technology and the crypto industry. And I do still feel, and I think those of the folks who joined me on the panel agreed that this whole thing, even though it doesn't say much about the technology that undergirds all of these projects that we talk about on this podcast, this whole you know fiasco was an indictment of the crypto industry. The money, the attention, the focus, you know, the panels that people were willing to go on with Sam Bankman Freed all just go to to show that it does matter the companies and the folks who we associate ourselves with cover. I mean the media plays a role in this too, um, regardless of whether it has anything to do with the the core blockchain technology itself as a centralized exchange in this case. That's super interesting, Sam. I mean, w one thing I would just add, you always see giant frauds around new technologies, right? I mean, it's just like inevitable. People are always taking advantage of the opacity and the incredible complicated stuff. And I mean, we see it all the time. And but it's just it's stuff so hard to understand that it's pretty easy to like pull the wool over people's eyes. You know, I mean, I think we can talk a little more freely about this now that he's convicted. Anyway, okay, well, thank you, Sam. Uh, we're so glad to have you here. All right, we're, let's let's get right into it now. Uh, as we say, with the latest news and developments in technology behind crypto and blockchains. 
In our first segment, we will be talking about Arbitrum's governance. Of course, Arbitrum is the biggest layer two network atop Ethereum. Margo covers them all the time, and they are a super interesting project. But Sam, you know, this story you wrote yesterday focuses on some dissension in that community. Why don't you just give us a little brief overview of what that story is? Yeah. So like you said, Arbitrum is one of the biggest layer two networks on Ethereum. And listeners of this podcast might be aware or might remember last spring when they switched over to a decentralized governance model. So they made this big shift where they launched a token, ARB, and allowed holders of that token to be a part of something called the Arbitrum DAO that would govern the protocol. And the thing that we're seeing here is a nod to the growing pain, one of the growing pains that we see with all decentralized autonomous organizations which is the difficulty of reconciling the you know, need for decentralized governance, vast networks of people governing these protocols in like the spirit of crypto with the reality that you need some somewhat centralized or at least professionalized decision-making expertise in order to guide the direction of these really important pr- platforms. Um, Arbitrum has you know over $2 billion locked in it as of today, if I recall correctly. But Anyway, in this specific case, Arbitrum's community is currently grappling with a proposal to introduce a research coalition that will be helmed by BlockWorks Research, the research arm of the the media organization Gauntlet, a risk firm, and one other cybersecurity firm that's not as specific to crypto. And those folks will kind of serve as this guidepost for the wider DAO to make its decisions. And there's been a lot of controversy around how much they'd be set to get paid under the proposal that BlockWorks presented in conjunction with these other Let's folks. just, Margo, what were your thoughts reading this story? So, well, two things. I sort of want to know what's in it for BlockWorks. Like, why are they putting themselves forward in this kind of proposal? But also, this sort of, like what Sam was alluding to, drew us back to last spring when there was a controversial proposal about the DAO and there was like a ratification and they started transferring tokens before like that period had even ended. So I feel like ever since that happened, there's been a lot more attention on the DAO and like the proposals it puts forward. So there's always these controversies around DAOs and like the grapple they have to do with centralization and decentralization or professionalism in that case and having some kind of authoritative figure that will make decisions. And so I wonder if we're looking at this more with a critical eye because of what happened six months ago and because we've sort of seen some controversy with the Arbitrum DAO. But I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on that? So it's a really good question. So that that event that you're talking about was essentially when the DAO was established, there was also this foundation that was established, the Arbitrum Foundation. Right. And you see this set up a lot of times where you have a foundation, you have a centralized company that builds a product, and then you have a DAO. The foundation kind of straddles the middle where it's like a real incorporated entity. But anyway, the foundation was suddenly granted a bunch of tokens from the initial mint of ARB. And members of this new DAO, who had also just been airdropped a bunch of tokens, were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, we didn't really have a formal vote on where those tokens should go. So it essentially looked like what it was, which was the people who initially created the blockchain granting a bunch of tokens to this foundation, which people, you know, think had some links still to the old organization, the, the firm that ran things. So the chief irony here is that the whole idea of a DAO and the whole idea of this specific proposal is to decentralize things further. So that something like a centralized foundation, something like the organization that created 
Arbitrum don't have an outweighed role in the direction of the chain. But the irony is that people see the same centralization issues with this new format. So one of the comments that uh, we have in this article came from one of the voters in this Arbitrum DAO who said, quote, having the same parties review and provide opinions on proposals, cover those proposals publicly via media networks, vote on proposals, review the security concerns of a proposal, and then execute the Arbitrum network upgrades is fundamentally lacking separation of powers, which is a nod to the role that all of these different entities who would be on this coalition currently serve for Arbitrum. And this person showed that these folks who would be on this coalition also hold a huge number of ARB tokens. They'd now be kind of suggesting proposals or at least giving research on these proposals that they're also voting on and have an outweighed weight um, in terms of- You know, I mean, it's so interesting. It gets right at the heart of, of this debate, you know, the topic that just keeps coming up over and over again, which is, is all of this really about the tech or is it really about the money? It's like- Everybody wants the money and some people are providing value. Sometimes it's hard to tell whether this is going to actually be valuable or if it's just somebody who wants money, right? Uh, Sam, I'm curious, the research they're talking about, what kind of research is this? Like, wh why, do, why does Arbitrum yeah. DAO need research? Yeah, it's a good question. So it's quite interesting. One of the cool things about DAOs is you can go into the governance forums of any of them. And you can see people weighing different proposals and those proposals will. So when it comes to research, sometimes there's going to be financial sort of research that they'll do into like what kinds of rewards we should give users of our protocol for doing certain things like what sort of interest should accrue to a token. Not really relevant in this case, but in the future, you know, if ARB should accrue interest, which it doesn't currently, it would kind of help make that call. You'll see a lot of risk assessment. So if Arbitrum is deciding on what bridge partners to use to transact with different chains, somebody like Gauntlet might come in or the cybersecurity firm might come in and do research to determine, hey, which of these bridge partners, given the technology we use and whatever platform we're bridging to uses, would be the, the most secure. That's something that you saw in the past blew up on, on Uniswap. When there's questions around conflicts of interest between the people doing the research and the the bridge platforms themselves but that's the kind of research you'll see kind of like the technical and financial <laughs> very briefly the reason why this you know bristled so many people was the fact that it would cost two million dollars over the course of a year and based on the cost breakdown one person wrote can the organizations involved demonstrate their time is worth quote 650 dollars to 1500 dollars an hour that seems exorbitant, as in more than I pay for a Harvard lawyer's exorbitant, literally. So these folks are asking for a ton of money in exchange for their services, and they've had to defend themselves. And currently, the proposal is really 50-50 in terms of whether um, this is a temperature check, but whether it goes to a real vote, the community can't decide whether that's a fair breakdown of costs. When does the temperature check end? Like, it when ends are we tomorrow. It ends tomorrow. Oh, and there's still okay. some big voters that haven't weighed in yet. Okay, um, so we might be talking about this next week then. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we one might. thing that is kind of cool, I will say, is in companies, modern companies, you know, the CEO and the board make the decisions and you don't get, shareholders do not get to weigh in real time on kind of major strategy mm -hmm. stuff or even like line item cost initiatives or whatever. So that part of it is kind of cool that, you know, people are voting on whether they should spend the $2 million.
So let's turn to our next segment here. Well, there's a project called The Graph, and they came out with some news this past week. We wrote a short story about that. They call themselves the Google of Web3, or they say that people call them the Google of Web3. And the idea is that what they do is they basically look at the data that's on the blockchain and then kind of figure out how to, and then deliver that to protocols or teams and for whatever they're, they need that blockchain data from. It's sort of like my comment was it's the opposite of what Chainlink does, which is deliver, you know, stuff data onto the blockchain for protocols that need it. But Hey, they came out with this new era roadmap. I mean, a lot of it's pretty technical stuff, you know, it's like features, but they, you know, the the line in the story was that this was was one of their biggest up, upgrades since they had a fifty million dollar fundraising last year, and the the development team, you know, similar to the decentralization in the previous segment, you know, there's always there's a development team, and then there's the project. The development team is uh, is called Edge and Known, and we sat down with their CEO Tegan Klein. Uh, who, by the way, I think uh, they said she was going to go on her honeymoon this week. So shout out to you. Congrats, David. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Margo, you know, you were you were on this call with Tegan and you wrote up the Q&A. What were, were kind of your big, big ideas and, you know, on this? Yeah, I thought it was interesting to hear her talk about like what the graph is, like who they serve, sort of like what entities, what protocols they serve. What I'm still sort of grappling with is, like, I understand, like, obviously there's a need for decentralizing data, but, you know, we'd asked sort of who her competitors are, who in the space is sort of similar to what she does. And her, her answer was that there isn't really anyone else in the space that does indexing like they do. Like, if they do do indexing, it's something in-house. And so, yes, there's been efforts, I think, which one of, you know, Sam or, or Brad, you guys can talk about that because I know you have talked to Tegan about that before. But if there's no one else that does the indexing like the graph does, like how much of a hold do they have over organizing data on blockchains, especially because she claims that all most of DeFi uses the graph? You know, that, I think that is a rare position to have in this industry, if that's true. You know, I think we haven't done a ton of reporting on this particular space. I think we're sort of more focused on the blockchain stuff that's kind of infrastructure layer of things and who's winning that race and all you know, the apps. And these are, they're kind of um, one of these middle players. They're not really front facing, you know, they're sort of B2B in the sense that they're, you know, taking stuff from blockchains and delivering it to kind of like the back end of somebody's website or whatever. But, but I mean, in general, you know, we're going to get in the next segment, we're going to talk about all the layer twos, you know, that are developing and there's tons of layer one blockchains. But I mean, I don't know, that's kind of interesting to have a dominant position in anything in blockchain. It seems like there's tons of competition. I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Sam? Yeah, I mean, nothing comes to mind that does exactly what they do, which is they serve as a kind of like chain link sort of Oracle-ish function, but they're completely on chain. So they aggregate and index data on blockchains so that entities like Chainlink, um, like Uniswap and, and so on can, can use them. But I, I think that there are some 
like I, I remember reporting on them a while ago. And one of the problems that the graph had and continues to have is just that it's extraordinarily complicated. They have their GRT token. They have these things called subgraphs, this role like indexers. And there's like all of these different, you know, jargon that you find all throughout crypto, but is particularly pronounced on the graph that some people think is is wholly unnecessary and it wouldn't be worth getting into all of it on Coindesk on, on this podcast, you know, is something that they still haven't been able to fix entirely. At the same time, yeah, I do think that they are somewhat unique in this intersection. But I also noticed that like some of the folks that they mentioned to you, Margo, that they, you know, are partnered with are the same folks that they've mentioned to me over almost like, I, I think like a year and a half ago when I last wrote about the graph. So it's like, Art Blocks, which is an NFT project that is really cool, but hasn't like been, you know, super huge in a while. They mentioned Uniswap. I also mentioned them. But if I recall from at least when I was, you know, writing about the graph, their Uniswap thing is used for Uniswap to display prices on its website. It's not something used in the protocol itself, which is a distinction that might matter. The graph is like certainly a really exciting project. And it, it is the only one that I'm aware of that's doing, you know, this whole decentralized indexing role. I, I think that they are still kind of trying to exactly find their place and reach that level of ubiquity that they've wanted for a while. That's really interesting. I, I you know, especially given that these projects that they help are haven't really changed over the last two years. And one of the things we had asked her sort of is like, where are these new users that they can cater to? Especially, you know, we're in, we're in winter, so... Where is the growth? Like, who who are you poaching users from? So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, to their credit, they did make a big gamble a while ago where they got rid of this centralized, this hosted service that they had, which is more akin to a Web2 service where they would index things and then you would query their own kind of hosted server in order to read off the data. They moved to this decentralized model a while ago, and there were questions around whether they'd be able to kind of sustain those operations. And it seems like they have, you know, they really are working in alignment with that whole decentralized crypto ethos in a way that a lot of these sorts of information providers, aggregators aren't. They, they've had some staying power, at least as a result of that, regardless of whatever their user numbers and partners I mean, are. that's so, it's interesting when you were mentioning how technical some of this stuff is. All right, well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the story of the week, Margot's scoop, Kraken, coming out with a layer two. We'll be right back. Calling all developers. Consensus 2024 is happening May 29th through the 31st in Austin, Texas. Experience three days of intensive learning with technical talks, 40 plus expert speakers, and 20 or more in-depth workshops, including dedicated half days for Ethereum and Bitcoin. Don't miss the opportunity to network at curated developer meetups, discover new career opportunities, and explore numerous side events and hacker houses around town. Score a Consensus 2024 Developer Pass for just $109, but act fast. Only a limited number of these passes are available. Visit consensus.coindesk.com now to secure your Developer Pass before they're gone. Coindesk's Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. I want to push back slightly on the idea that cash 
the value of it. I mean, that's what FX markets are about, right? Is like arbitraging differences in cash value. And there's a whole gigantic market around currency exchanges. And so I think there that we do see trading that happens in cash. But to your point, you know, the use of cash as a means of payment, etc., is pretty robust and sticky as a concept. And I think the joke is always, you know, if cash didn't exist, no one would invent it. But hey, it, it does exist. And so that's the world that we're in. Look, there is a crypto angle in this. Our job is not to sit here as either geopolitical or conflict resolution commentators, but it matters to everybody, every human being. Given how horrific this story is, the fact that there was an order to shut down crypto accounts used by Hamas and that Binance came in to cooperate with that, of course, is yet another negative story around crypto. Take the frame from wherever you want to take it, but by remaining silent about bad actors in our industry, about criminal behavior, about terrorists, about whatever it is, and we're just focusing on the topic of our show, but I mean this more generally, by remaining silent, we are complicit. You heard what she had to say. Go out there, call spades, spades, stand up for what is right. Like just, it's time to, to stop shirking the responsibilities we have. And yeah. it's just time to just stand up for what's right. Listen to Money Reimagined every Wednesday on the Coindesk Podcast Network. You can subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. All right, we're back. Thank you. We're going to jump right into our Protocol Village segment. And we're going to talk about Margot's scoop. I mean... You know, Margo, this is a scoop. Everybody was talking about this. I was just scanning all the newsletters and and even the block. Our arch nemesis uh, <laughs> led their daily newsletter with this story that you broke, Margo. But uh, why don't you tell us about it? So Kraken is supposedly coming out with a layer two, according to some people who are familiar with some of the discussions that are going on. I got to say, though, I got to give a shout out to Liz Napolitano because she flagged the job description open, like the job position opening of the senior cryptography engineer, which raised some questions around us like, hmm, are they coming out? Well, with let's start there the if we're going to go chronologically. Yeah. what? OK, so what was that? It. You know, that's where you started, right? Where where what sure. was that job description? So I guess this is a free advertisement for Kraken and, and their job board. but. Kraken is looking to hire a senior cryptography engineer who is enthusiastic about layer twos and has knowledge on modern cryptography, including zero knowledge proofs, which was sort of suggestive that, you know, something might be in the works for Kraken for a layer two. We, you know, we were flagged on that job description. And so I went to some of my sources who I thought might have some knowledge on this. And lo and behold, some of these people have heard about the discussions that have been going on with Kraken. And, you know, after talking to several people, it was brought to my attention and sort of confirmed that Polygon Labs, Matter Labs, which is the team behind ZK Sync, and the Nil Foundation uh, have had discussions with Kraken about coming out with an L2. And there might be some other teams as well, but those have not been confirmed. And let's just yeah, let's so just go this, to the elephant in the room here, you know, which is Coinbase, sure. right? And because I mean that yeah. that's the big context here is that Coinbase they came out with their own 
layer too, right? Is that and is that why people kind of immediately leapt to to this? You know, why this is interesting, Margot. Definitely. I mean, I think that it was, you know, base is the first uh, layer two that has come out from like a big centralized crypto exchange. I think there's been a lot of questions over the past few months whether other crypto exchanges will follow. And I think this sort of confirms that this is probably a trend that's happening. I don't think, you know, we should be entirely surprised if we see other crypto exchanges as well coming out with their own uh, layer twos. So and I think that's why this was news is because I think Kraken is also the second largest crypto exchange in the United States. So they're, you know, putting their hat in the ring. You know, and- Coinbase, they used uh, OP stack from, uh, sure. from the Optimism yeah. team. Were they in the running on this? I wasn't able to confirm whether they've had discussions with them. It's not a yes and not a no. It's just unknown at this moment. But I will say that there has been some speculation that it won't like OP Labs won't be getting the job for this just because they already have such a big share of the market with base that having another centralized exchange would put them in a more dominant position in a, you know, in a place where there we haven't there the blockchain ethos is about having sort of not equal but a fair market share when it comes to these kind of things. But also I think they like just in terms of people and teams, like when you're running an L2 for an exchange, you do need like a team to be there to respond to needs. And they just don't have the capacity at this moment to have like they're already so inundated with probably having to work on base that having to work on an entirely mm. new exchange is probably also That's very demanding. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't again, this is just my speculation and just my my train of thought, but I don't see it going to OP uh, labs just because there's just like not not enough members. Who well, OK, so that. then also, I mean, to bring it back to the tech, you know. There's the there's the the perennial debate over over zk rollups versus optimistic rollups. Of course, we, we talked about Arbitrum in the previous segment. They're optimistic. Uh, Op is optimistic, and we we talked to Jesse Pollock, you know, who's leading base uh, for Coinbase. You know, I mean, and we asked him. I mean, it seems like most people say that zk is is probably the superior you know, choice for, uh, they call it fast finality, right? Like for the settlement. But he was almost apologizing for the fact that they, <laughs> they had chosen one with the optimistic and making the point that it's modular, you know, they can always upgrade to ZK later. But I mean, is that part of it, Margo? You think that's a, in, in cracking? They can just go straight to the ZK? Yeah. It could be. I mean, listen, I have we haven't ruled out that Arbitrum hasn't had any of these discuss- right. discussions. Okay. So yeah. they like I, from what I've heard, this is still very early stages, and that's why we have that list of of who they've definitely had a discussion with. And of that list, it's all teams that are working on on zk right. rollups. So it would be a fair assumption that you know they might want to go the zk route, but. I wouldn't rule out that maybe maybe some other roll-ups yeah. are in the mix. What do you think, Sam? I think yeah. it's just interesting the fact of considering why so many exchanges are creating blockchains. Because Kraken was kind of an odd one out from that standpoint. Like Base, like we've talked about, Coinbase already has the base chain. Binance has had a blockchain for a really long time. So why are they all doing this? And I'm curious to get your takes. I mean, one obvious thing is just that they're trying to build out you know, sort of network effects. They're trying to get as many users over to them and then create seamless or like integrations with their centralized exchange. I don't think they're abandoning those exchange businesses. They're just trying to build moats around them. And then, you know, there's also a question of whether they even know 
what they're going to do with users on their own proprietary blockchains. Like, does base how are they actually going to take advantage of having all of these users and make a ton of money off them? That is a question that remains to you know be answered because some of the ways that they're trying to make money currently through sequencer fees and so on, at least in the base case, aren't going to be sustainable if they further decentralize like they say they're going to do. This is all getting kind of like techie, but Margo, I wonder if you have any thoughts from your conversations around why so many of these companies are going this route. Yeah, I mean, I think all the things that you mentioned are sort of a part of that package. It's, you know, trying to poach users. I think the sequencer stuff for for the time being having, and you wrote about this, uh, about having centralized sequencers does, you know, before you decentralize it, it does give you some kind of extra stream of revenue. But also I think, you know, like crypto and blockchain more, especially the culture around it, there's a lot of like FOMO and hype related to this. So I think we're just seeing the beginning of a new trend where if everyone, like everyone needs to come out with a layer two and everyone Mm -hmm. has the tools now to come out with a layer two because everyone has a stack to offer someone to come out with a layer two, you know? So this is, and if you're not in on it, then, then you're out, you're not part of the club. So it's a mix of all these things that you mentioned tied in with, we don't want to be seen like we're left behind and not following what's going on in the space more broadly. I think that is spot on, Marco. We see this all the time in crypto. Like I was just on my rate, you know, I do this protocol village uh, column with all of the updates uh, plug for that. But at any rate, you know, there was just, a, there was a couple more like Zirkit was one that I just wrote about. They have a new like ZK EVM. There was one that I was looking at that we were talking about Zeev, Z-E-E-V-E. They're using Polygon CDK which is their, you know, software development kit for, for new blockchains. Like they're calling it a one click roll up one click. And then there was another one that I wrote about called stacker, uh, a stack. It's like stacker without the E they're saying they're doing micro roll ups. You know, I mean, I, I think stepping back, I mean, this is one of my theories is blockchain technology is Pretty powerful. And it's actually, you know, like if you're going to think about where we are in the state of this industry, it, it's getting pretty good to the sense in the sense that you can now create your own layer two roll up top Ethereum with one click. You know what I mean? It's like so easy to do. Everybody can do it now. So everybody's doing it. Like, what are we even going to use these for? Nobody knows. Yeah, I think, and we were just sort of getting at that in the last segment, right? Like, where, where like, where are the users for all of this? I, I think it'd be interesting to see, you, you know, whether these projects, these rollups, they survive winter when hopefully, you know, we get into another bull run and bring in more users. And I'll just also mention, you know, in addition to the scoop that, you know, the Nil Foundation is sort of in conversation with Kraken, they also announced that they're coming out right. with their own rollup called nil like equal sign nil and then whatever that sign is behind it it's very i mean sam um so you wrote about nil for like projects to watch right and here we are watching them uh like why nil Yeah. yeah yeah so nil is this project that historically was trying to build out a marketplace for people to buy and sell zero knowledge proofs which are these things that you have to compute that are really computation heavy expensive to do but power this kind of next wave of blockchain products that use ZK technology, zero knowledge cryptography, but they are releasing this blockchain. They say it's going to be the first 
layer two to implement this thing called sharding, the idea of like adding sort of more lanes to the highway that is a blockchain in order to improve speeds and increase capacity, something that's been on Ethereum's primary roadmap for a while, but ironically got sidelined because layer two platforms like this one were already taking on so much of the burden that charting was supposed to fix on Ethereum itself. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I think what this goes to show is that it's not only big exchanges getting in on this, but it's really anybody who has the technology and the know-how to build these sorts of platforms is really jumping in on the action because it does sort of seem like green fields for people to launch these layer two platforms and kind of get in on the broader Ethereum ecosystem, which might seem to these people like something that's easier to do than the historical approach of just creating a brand new layer one blockchain, spinning up, you know, all of these new miners in the past or validators in the case of proof of stake and and so on. This is a much easier thing to tackle. So it's, you know, we're going to see a lot of these things spring up. Are people going to remember 2023 is the year of the L2? I think yes, but I also think more specifically the year of, of zero knowledge. I think a lot of the ZK rollups, or, you know, the past year, a lot of ZK rollups have come to market. And, you know, I would say the year beforehand was was more geared towards optimistic rollups. So I think definitely zero knowledge is been the year that's sort of been introduced. And I think, you know, next year, we're just going to have to wait and see the outcomes of yeah, all that. That's super interesting. Thank you, Margo. And bravo, bravo on your incredible scoop. This is not easy work. Anyway, Margo, you showed us how it's done. So thank you for that. All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us here and listening to the Protocol Podcast. If you have any questions or any story tips or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Protocol. You can listen to us weekly on Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol on Coindesk.com. And a quick shout out to our amazing producer, Michelle Musso, whose birthday is tomorrow. Woo! Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Michelle. Um, all right. Thanks, all. See you next week.